Good morning, church. I just want to start out by giving you a quick announcement that this Tuesday, 7 o'clock, we will have our worship and prayer get-together time again. I believe it's important that we start that again. And so this Tuesday, uh, 7 o'clock, here in the chapel. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for drawing us to yourself, bringing us safely here. And Father, my prayer today is that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you, that we would be able to behold wondrous things of you and what you say. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to touch our hearts. Your touch, your presence makes all the difference. What you say doesn't return void. It prospers in what you send it forth to do. I surrender myself to you. I choose to be hidden you. I pray that you would take these words and, and bring forth life and transformation and stir, us, stir our hearts and take us forward in you because you are great and you are awesome. And since the beginning of time, since sin came into the world, you are on a rescue mission and you are still a man on a mission destroying the works of the enemy and bringing and expanding your kingdom and you have called us to be involved in that. Lord, I thank you for drawing us and for the privilege of being your children and called to that rescue mission as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I have to tell you at the uh, outset here, I, I thought about wearing a miner's helmet today as we go into chapter 8 of Matthew here. And, I, and there's just a lot there. And I thought, no, I don't want it to be a distraction. But the other thing that I wanted to tell you is that we are not going to get, I'm not going to get through all of Matthew 8. But there is depth, there is richness, there is insight, and there's no bottom, if you want to be honest, to the insights and the revelation and the things that the Holy Spirit reveals when you get into His Word. So this morning, in starting out, with, before we get into uh, Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start back in chapter 7 of Matthew at verses um, 28 and 29. And there it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was one, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And the reason why I want to start there with that set of scriptures is the, is the fact that this sets the table for what is about to unfold in Matthew chapter 8. And so, in Matthew chapter 7 here, there are some things with these verses that I just read that are important for our consideration. So, the first thing that I want you to, to be aware of is the crowd. 
Who are they? These people were hurting. These people were sick. These people were the one like uh, Stephen had talked about, the tax collector that just put all kinds of bad connotations and thinking in the people's minds that, that they sized them up and said, man, we have no respect for this person. There were the people that were the down and outers. They, there were the people that were, that were like Peter and the disciples. They were not upper class, just regular folks. But the thing about this is that in that day, these people that were hurting, that were poor, that were impoverished, they had no welfare system in that time. They weren't going to get a stimulus check. There was no one outside a family that was going to be there to take care of them. You lived day to day, and if you made it from one day to the next, you were grateful. It was another day to, to look forward to what? I want to tie it back to something that was said in Matthew chapter 4, and this is significant, because it says in Matthew chapter 4, about verse 16, it says, the people that sat in darkness... That was just more than just sitting in a room with the lights off. That's talking about the condition of the heart, their outlook. That's horrible. You can't have much of a vision if you're in the dark. There's no hope. There's no incentive. If you try to walk in the dark, you don't know what kind of progress am I going to make. You know, there's just everything to be despondent and discouraged and just, wow, why even bother? And to battle that day in and day out. And then it goes on and it says, the people there that sat in the region of death, as if it wasn't bad enough that it said darkness, now there's death. The region, the region of death. Just let that sink in for a minute. For a minute. They have that kind of mentality. That, 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 where they're at, the land they're living, region of death. Does that sound like a place you want to move to? No, it's, it sounds more like a place, that's a, I want to be as far away from that as possible. Man, there's no way I'm going to go near there. But as we're about to see, there is one. There is one with a capital O who does go there. And it says the people that sat in darkness saw a great mega Go figure, that's the word, mega light, great light. And those that sat in the region of death, a great light has dawned. So the second thing to consider, the word astonish. The word astonish here, in looking at this where it says, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. The word means to strike out, to be exceedingly struck in the mind, to expel by a blow. What's doing the expelling? 
and to strike out to be exceedingly struck in the mind. What are you being struck with? I'll tell you what they're being struck with. They're being struck with the word of God and the power of God and the presence of God. You want to be struck by something. Listen, I've struck my hammer, my hand with a hammer. That's not what I want to be struck with. But when you think about the power, the power of God's word to dispel, to, to, to strike out exceedingly that it just it just blows out of the water what your whole mindset was. That's what it's saying. So when we have heard that phrase before, you know it. Wow, that blew my mind. These people's minds were being blown by the word of God and the authority of God and the power of God. That's huge. And so when Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount and he opens up with the, the nine blessings, blessed are those poor in spirit, blessed, blessed. These people, what is happening? Jesus is speaking life. He is speaking life into dead things. He's speaking life and dispelling hopelessness. He is, he is bringing forth where there was dryness, where there is no hope. He's bringing forth a transformation. We're witnessing something here, folks. And the reason why this is important as we get into chapter 8, this is what we're called to. And that's a privilege. Not to be spectators, but to be, in, to be on that field of battle with him and him being our example. And Jesus' authority, the word exousia, power, the one who has the power and the right to say what he says and that when he says it, it is done and it will be done. And those who get it, uh, that it's spoken to, they obey. Just like the storms, just like the demons, just like creation. Any place where you saw that Jesus spoke, did he have to wait for a reply? Did he have to wait for something to come back in the mail? No, when he did it, it happened. Exousia, authority, and all of heaven, when he spoke, all of heaven there in him, the Godhead dwelling in the fullness in him, when he spoke, it happened. And then he makes this contrast with the scribes. Uh-oh. And not as the scribes. The scribes have been there, and they didn't do anything to help the people in their walk, in their relationship with God. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, the verse says there that uh, they tied heavy burdens on the people. And that they wouldn't even lift a finger. And then, later on in that, and, and by the way, there are more indictments, if you will, more woes for the, the Pharisees. <clears throat> but he says, they put heavy burdens on the people and they don't even lift a finger. But later on in that, that chapter, he, he says another thing. Oh, He says, you shut up the kingdom of heaven in the faces of the people. Now, if that isn't a wake-up call, if that isn't 
If that doesn't, if you're one of the, the religious leaders in those days and what your responsibilities are, if that doesn't shake you to wake you, I don't know what would. And those are only two of the things that he says about the Pharisees in there. But those are part, but for what we're talking about this morning, that's enough. So you see that the, the scribes are not doing anything to encourage or to promote the kingdom of God. They're all about me, myself, and I. See me, look what I'm doing. Hey, praise me, I'm doing this. They didn't even have the right focus. So then we get into chapter 8. And the thing is, I want to keep going back and ref referencing these verses because everything that's going to happen here now in chapter 8 goes back to Jesus. Jesus' authority and Jesus, his power and what he says and what he does. So in Matthew chapter 8, the first four verses there, Jesus cleanses a leper. But I have to tell you, do not, do not be fooled by the fact that there are four verses about a leper and then, wow, let's, let's, let's go on from there. There is a treasure trove in those four verses about the leper. And before I get too far ahead of myself, I, wanna, I just want to thank Donna for reading Isaiah 35 because Stephen, when he did the introduction into the book, the Gospel of Matthew, he talked about seeing the overlay of the overlay. And so you saw the you saw the streams in the wilderness. You saw the response of of joy and rejoicing and life, life bursting forth in the desert where there was desert and there was wilderness and there was no life. To see the overlay of Isaiah 35 so, going forward here in Matthew chapter 8, right out of the box, Matthew uses a word, behold. He wants you to sit up. He wants us to sit up and say, watch, something big, something significant is about to happen. And what is it? A leper approaches him. So, the first time we are introduced to leprosy, the, the first time we're exposed to leprosy, is back in Exodus where Moses is drawn to the burning bush. And there is this conversation between God and Moses. And, you know, he lays down his, his staff and it becomes a serpent. And then God tells him, stick your hand inside your cloak and then pull it out. And it was what? Leprous. And then what does he do? This is significant because I'm going to refer back to it again. He sticks his hand in his cloak again and then pulls it out. And what happens? He's healed. So after that, Moses marries a Cushite woman and Miriam is not happy about it. She murmurs against Moses and then she says, hey, we hear from God just like Moses she starts murmuring. 
Oh, bad thing. What happens? What happens when she murmurs against Moses? She is struck with leprosy. If there are some other instances in the Bible, Elijah's servant, Gehazi, he heal, uh, Elijah heals Naaman the leper. And uh, he wants to give Elijah something. He wants to just give him compensation. And Elijah says, no, no. So he goes off. Naaman, that is. And what happens is Gehazi goes out after him. He says, uh, hey, I'll take some of that stuff. And then he comes back. And because of his greed, what happens to Gehazi? He's struck with leprosy. Then there's just one more that I'll reference here is uh, King Uzziah. He grew proud. And uh, he says he, he was unfaithful before the Lord. He didn't start that way, but that's where he ended up. And so what does he do? He's going to go into the temple and he's going to offer sacrifice. He's going to offer incense in the temple. Eighty priests try to tell him. Eighty. Don't do it. You make a big mistake. Don't do it. He does it. What happens? He's struck with leprosy. He dies with leprosy. This thing with leprosy, Jesus is wanting to make a point that there is a connection between sin and leprosy. And in the book of Leviticus, God bless you, David. I don't know how you get through Leviticus. It was all I could do to get through 13 and 14 in Leviticus. But there's two chapters that are devoted to leprosy. So if you've got two chapters that deal with this, I think it's a pretty important thing. There are also various scriptures where the Lord says, be careful to do what the priests tell you to do regarding this so that no one is defiled. So that brings us then to the place of the life of a leper. So once it's determined that the person has leprosy, he, he is a social outcast. He has to adjust to not having contact with anyone in the camp or the community. His, his head is to be uncovered. He has to wear a, a covering over his upper lip. He is, he is to tear his clothes. And everywhere he goes, he is supposed to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. Everything about your appearance says unclean. Now just in this day and age, if you had to walk around and had to pronounce yourself like that, how would that make you feel? What does that do to your heart, to your inner being? But yet, this was the law. This is what you were supposed to do. This is what the priest said, you have to do this. And yet, here, we see a miracle unfolding because how in the world this, this leper, he hears about Jesus. I believe he hears the words in the Sermon on the Mount and he's drawn to Jesus. He is willing to risk it. And I don't understand how it happens, but if you've got to announce you're unclean and yet you're out there, but he does. 
And he says to Jesus, he comes to him and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. So he knows that Jesus has the power to do it. And what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't say, oh, gross, ick, get back from me, you're unclean. Remember the leper. Any place, if you came in contact with a person, you were defiled. You were as unclean as the leper was. But what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't say yuck and back away. No, he says, I will be thou clean. And he's restored. In John 6, verse 37, I love this verse. It says, all those who come to me, that's Jesus, he says, I will in no wise cast out. It doesn't matter who you are. It says, all, the, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will, in, I will never cast out. That has to be a tremendous encouragement no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your outlook. Here is a tremendous promise and invitation that Jesus says, come, come to me. And the leper does. And Jesus says, I will be thou clean. And he, by the word of his mouth, and it makes me, it, it takes me back to creation. When there was darkness. And what happens there at, at creation? When the world, world was dark and without void, Jesus brings something out of nothing and creates. And it happens. When he says, let there be, let there be, let there be, and it is done. And it is good. We see Jesus now, again, bringing the kingdom of God into reality in the day-to-day -day lives of people like this leper. And it makes me, as the scripture came to me from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, where Jesus, again, here, here's, here's what it says. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them, I'll make them. I will, just like I will be thou clean, I'll make them white as snow. First John 1 John 1.9, what does it say? A, a very familiar passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us to go right to the heart of the matter to cleanse us to get rid of that to take it out to cleanse it to cleanse us from all unrighteousness By law, the leper has to shout out that 
He's unclean. He's unclean. Now, how much more so that we are made clean? Do we have every right to shout at the top of our lungs and to get excited and to rejoice and say, I'm clean! I'm clean! I'm clean! It's true. We're clean by the blood of the Lamb. We're clean. That should get you fired up. I think we allow too many things to come upon us to weight us down, to try to contain us, to sap away and steal away our joy. And yet in that scriptures that Donna read this morning, there's rejoicing. Why? Because he brings life. He brings healing. He brings hope. My prayer this morning is for fresh wind and fresh fire because we are containers and we're carriers of that. Jesus, our example, is taking the charge, leading the way. He's a man on a mission. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest, to destroy the works of the enemy. And since I read that book, Dirty Glory, and that one place in that book where he says, we are not called to be spectators on the sideline just kind of hoping and wishing for some kind of a miraculous outcome. The Almighty God who paid the ultimate sacrifice and price for you and me calls us onto the field of battle and equips us for the field of battle to bring about a different results, to change the atmosphere, to change the environment. And whether it's the COVID, whether it's the demons of hell, I don't care. He conquered every enemy that we would ever face. Can I get an amen? amen? It's true. That fire should be like when you kick on that furnace. It's not that little bitty light. When that furnace kicks in, that's him in the inside of us. Not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh. <sighs> to change the outcome, when you pray for a situation, when you declare, when you speak life into another person, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, when he says, I will be thou clean, that same power that, that all of heaven backs up, that's in you and when you speak, when you come across, when the Lord sets up a divine appointment and he puts you in that place and you follow his leading, you will see the same results he did. He that believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do and greater works than these shall we do. Why? Because he went to the Father and he sent us the Holy Spirit, our helper. So, and going from the leper, one side of the spectrum, so to speak, the one that is really down and a social outcast, now we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum, so to speak, and what happens? A Roman centurion approaches Jesus. Here's another person that approaches him. It's not Jesus going to him, 
But Jesus, uh, the, excuse me, the centurion here approaches Jesus. Why? Because I believe he witnessed and he heard the words of Jesus and there's power in his words. And Jesus, whatever he does, whatever he says, it's, the authority is obvious there in both, in what he says and what he does. And so if you're, if you're a Jewish person and you're kind of reading this story and, and now a Roman soldier comes to Jesus and you're that man, these guys have been um, set up in our territory. Um, they were under their thumb, to be honest. They're ruling over us. They're oppressing us. They have their way with us. So when this centurion approaches Jesus, you're thinking, I would be thinking, all right, this guy's going to get his comeuppance. Oh, he's going to get what he deserves. But that's not what happens. What? What kind of savior is this? Where's the justice? So what does the centurion do? He comes up to Jesus and he says, my servant is sick. This Roman centurion he has a ranking in the Roman army. And if you know anything about army life, you know that if you have a ranking, there's authority that comes with your rank. Right? Yes. He knows, uh, he knows authority, but what happens? I believe is that when he hears the words of Jesus, he has a revelation. Man, I thought I had authority. Here's a guy with real authority with a capital A authority he recognizes that and what does he do he says do you know who i am he doesn't say do you know who i am i'm a roman soldier i'm the uh i'm the big man on campus here you uh you come here i need your assistance i need backup no he humbles himself before god because he recognizes who he is and who has all authority and he says i'm coming i'm coming in behalf of my servants And then he says, and Jesus says, great, I see your faith, I'll come to your house. And what does the centurion say? No, don't, I'm not worthy. A Roman centurion saying, I'm not worthy. Recognizing his condition. And just, who does that sound like? That sounds like the same response that John the Baptist made. I'm not worthy to untie the sandal of this person. Here is this Roman centurion, a person of authority, saying, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. And Jesus commends his faith. And he says, no one in all of Israel have I seen something like this. But the story doesn't stop there. There's a stark warning and I believe a wake-up call that Jesus issues to, to his fellow, fellow Jews, the, the, the Jews. And that is, guys, there's going to be Gentiles coming into the kingdom and you who think you're privileged, you're not going to be there. You're going to be cast out. And Jesus is wanting them Jesus is wanting to wake them up and make them jealous because the Gentiles are coming in. That's what it says in Romans chapter 11. 
He talks about that, that purpose to make them jealous and to bring the Jews back into the fold along with the Gentiles. But there's something else that, that is significant in this. First with the leper and now with, with the Roman centurion and that's this. In Ephesians chapter 2, It says, starting in verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus doesn't want the Jews or the Gentiles to be divided. It is very much on his heart. And it says with the cross that he is bringing both of these guys, both of these Together, because of him. He brings them together into the kingdom. That there is no rank, there's no privilege in the kingdom. It's because of me and because of what I've done that I am able and I am abolishing that partition and bringing the two of you together. That's as equally a part and as powerful as we preach about the message of, of the cross and sin, but the whole idea of unity is just as important and it comes because of the cross and that we all come by and through that one man, Jesus Christ. And if you don't think it's important, I want to introduce you to my friend Tom over here. Because there is a man with a mission as well that God has put on his heart about the importance of unity in the body of Christ. And if we stand divided, I got news for you. The outcome will not be pretty. What's that saying? United, we stand. Divided, we fall. And here we have Jesus coming right out and saying, I am bringing the two of you into my kingdom and you are both able to receive and enjoy the blessings that I have for you. Not one favored over the other, not one versus the other. No, you're on the same team. So in the next section of scriptures here in chapter 8, Jesus enters Peter's house and he sees his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she arose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed 
all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So there again, we see, going back to the closing verses of chapter 7 and the overlay of Isaiah 35, that he, he touches her, he uses that authority, and the fever leaves. Not only does the fever leave, she gets up and she starts serving. I don't know about you, but in the times when I've been sick, I don't feel like getting up and doing much of anything when I'm sick. Do you? So the miracle, I think, besides being healed, is that she jumps into action. Well, she starts serving. And I think that really says something about the touch of the Lord in her life for that moment. And then again, after that, that evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with what? A word, a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So Matthew is quoting here Isaiah 53 verse 4. Just verse 4. So the way that reads in the Hebrew He took, that is, to take up a thing to be carried. That is, our illnesses, malady, anxiety, calamity, grief. And bore to put on oneself something to be carried, to bear what is burdensome, our diseases. our pain, our sorrow. So in the fulfilling of that, the, the cross hasn't happened yet. But what he's doing is that there is, a, there is an exchange that is taking place with Peter's mother-in-law and for the others that were sick. And that is, Jesus heals, I'm carrying this sickness. You've got this, I got it. You've got this calamity. You've got this grief. You've got this sorrow. I'm going to carry it. I'm going to carry it. I'm taking it upon my shoulders. What is he going to do with it? He's going to carry it to the cross. And at the cross, when he says, it is finished, it's done. The plan, the work of salvation is done. The things that he carried, that's where they're laid down. Because it's at the cross that the payment is made in full. At the cross. And so I thought it was interesting that Matthew doesn't quote the rest of or the verses that follow after verse, uh, verse 4 here about him, uh, <clears throat> about our sins and, and those things. But he carries them. He carries them. In 1 Peter it says, Cast all your cares upon me. Roll them off of your back and on to me. Let me carry them. 
And then I want to finish finally <clears throat> with uh, looking at verses 18 through 22 here. Now when Jesus came, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Pretty ambitious. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And I have to tell you that as I read that and I prayed and I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, what are you getting at here? What are you, what are you saying? And I tried to look at some different commentaries and things and I really wrestled with, with this, to be honest with you. And so as I, as I prayed about it and looked at those words, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is what I believe the Lord spoke to me. When the children of Israel were going through the wilderness to go into the promised land, what were they led by? The, the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. Did you ever see in that story where, uh, okay guys, you can put down roots. This is where we're going where, where to hang out, where we're going to stop. And that doesn't happen. He kept, with leading them in the way that he did, he was taking them forward. Even when they got to the promised land, he wanted to be, he wanted them to be not, not forgetful of him, but growing deeper in their relationship with him. But it was also one of conquest. When they're going through the wilderness, they, they were to conquer the enemies that they were, uh, that they had to, to thrust out. And the Lord told them to be strong and courageous. And so, um, <clears throat> so Jesus He's telling these people who have asked to follow him. Let me say this first, where it says that he has no place to lay his head. He's, he's a man on a mission. Again, I wanted to repeat what I said earlier, a verse from 1 John 3, verse 8. It says, For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest to destroy the works of the enemy. And he wasn't going to stop. And the one time where it talks about, now I know there's places where he did sleep, you know, and rest, and I get that. Even in the boat in the storm, he did that. But the one place where he did lay down his head that I wanted to make reference to is when he is buried in the tomb. But then he rises again, and now he's, he's going forward, and we and his disciples... He wants, to, he wants to empower them and for what he has done, he wants them to do. And so to this day, even while he is seated in heaven at the right hand of God, 
He is actively working just as much now as he was back then, but now it's through his bride, his church. And so, I believe what he's telling, telling these, these people here, he's saying, don't let anything bog you down to where you stop pressing on. Don't let anything deter you to where you're going to take an exit ramp off away from following my leading and what I put before you to do. When Jesus, it sounds almost disrespectful when he says, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. If that were the case, the man wouldn't be there. He'd be, he'd be burying his, his father. But as it is, he wanted, he, wanted to be, he wanted to take care of his dad until he died of old age or whatever. And so it's the idea of not letting anything stand in or deter you from what Jesus and calling you to himself and going forward. You know, when I, when I first came to Christ and I surrendered, right out of the gate, my family disowned me. In some ways, I was closer to my grandparents than I was my parents. And they thought, what happened to you? Where did we go wrong? How did we fail you? They didn't get it. And I, I just remembered the Lord giving me this picture of this little tiny sapling like a tree. And there were these winds and, and torrential rains beating on this tree and and the tree was bending over like sideways but the tree didn't break and I remember and I remember the the pastor of the church where I grew up he said you know what you can come back into fellowship a Lutheran church just renounce what you've done really no no I have to tell you the words that came out of my mouth were that it was better to obey God rather than man. And I knew the changes that I had seen in my life. Just like that leper, Jesus spoke life into me. He raised me up. And Jesus sustained me even through that horrendous storm. And so... In this field of battle that we are called to, I was reminded of the words of a song years gone by, for the Lord is marching on, and his army is ever strong, and his glory shall be seen upon our land. For the captain of the host is Jesus, we're following in his footsteps, no foe will stand against us in the fray. We have the privilege to do that and to change the outcome and, and the people that, that come and Jesus brings across our path. We have an opportunity to speak light 
great light, life, health, and restoration. And that same authority that Jesus used and who has all authority, he says, now you go, you go, and you change, and you bring forth life, and you, you speak life wherever you go, and you pronounce life over the people you come in contact with. And I tell you, in my place of work, <clears throat> the Lord, I, I had a dream. <laughs> so did Martin Luther King. No, but <clears throat> I felt like what the Lord was saying in this dream don't you ever discount the importance of making bridges. And one word of life, one word of hope is enough to open a door to get into a person's life and watch what the Lord will do. <clears throat> I'm, I'm currently at work now and there, I, I'll just close with this testimony. Uh, Lori, um, she is, um, she's a dispatcher there. She's, um, she works in the office. She's, and anyway, her family life, her structure, Lori is carrying the brunt of the authority in the home, not the husband. And <clears throat> her son, EJ, was basically a couch potato. And then there came, <clears throat> the, and she had been praying a long time, and then there came a day where EJ had to go to the Highland Center. Something happened in his life, and he had to go to the Highland Center. And uh, <clears throat> I began praying when she shared with me about this. And the Lord gave me some words for Lori. And the first thing Lori said, you know what? I, you, you, you called to me right after lunch and I was thinking about those very things about my son. Imagine that. And, and you knew just what to say to give me hope and, and, and to not be bogged down by this thing. <clears throat> The upside of this story is that I, I had the opportunity to share some scriptures with EJ. And now EJ is a man whose heart is on fire. And, my, and I believe with all my heart that EJ, that the Lord's going to use EJ to touch his dad and light a fire under him. And so whenever I pray for people, and they, and they sometimes, you know, they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, would you pray for me? Okay, I will. And then what I tell them, do you want to hear what God said? It's like, whoa, really? Yeah. Do you think you just expect me to pray and we just go off in the sunset separate in our own different ways? That's not the way God works. God cares. And so when people ask me to pray, I tell them, do you want to hear what, you want to hear what God said? And boy, you ought to see some of the looks I get. But then when I tell them what God said, their heart gets touched and they just, some of them cry. And my prayer, just like Caleb in the book of Joshua, 
He says, <clears throat> he says, I was 40 years old back when this all started. I'm paraphrasing here. And now I'm 85. So I want to be like Caleb when I'm 85. That is my strength is now as it was then. And I can war now like I wore then. So even though you may have miles on your outer exterior, your inward man is just as powerful and just as vibrant and just as full of life and fire and zeal because of the one who dwells in you. And Caleb says, give me the mountain. Give me the mountain. Let me, let me go out there. This is my inheritance. And so my prayer, every place in which my foot shall tread, I want to leave puddles. Every place where I walk in there, I don't care who the most ardent person is, and I've seen them, they're there. There's giants there. I'm not kidding you. But God knows how to bring them down. And that life comes forth every place I tread at my place of work until it's not just a place of work and you go home. You see, my prayer is to see the spiritual atmosphere and to see the, the hearts and lives changed and to settle for nothing less. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come. Stir up our hearts, Lord. We surrender to you. We surrender all that we are to you. You are the Lord. You're marching on. Your plans and vision for us are mighty and great. You are the Lord who is great and awesome. And so we choose to fight. We choose to come alongside of you and to fight. To fight for our brothers and sisters. To fight for those people that you bring across our path. To speak a word that sustains the weary. To speak a word that, that brings order to chaos. That sets the captives free. You have called us into this fight, Lord. And we choose, we choose to follow you with a whole heart and not turn off to the right or to the left. Father, we surrender to you all that we are, weaknesses and all. We surrender to you because you are mighty and you dwell within us and you take us from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from glory to glory. There's more, there's more, there's more, Lord. And so we cry out to you to take us forward. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.